I had another one of those look at my radio moments the other day. A story comes on that pops with a good narrative and good writing and good sound, and you can't help but stop what you're doing and just look at your radio. This was in early November. I was listening to Morning Edition on CAI. That's the local public radio station here in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. And there were reports about the war in Ukraine, the election in Israel, the election in Brazil, the attack on Nancy Pelosi. There was even a story about saving box turtles, which was really good, by the way. As disparate as these pieces are in terms of subject matter, they all had one thing in common, a single narrator, one reporter telling the story. Then this story came on. The other day, NPR's Planet Money podcast team got a cassette in the mail. A cassette? You know what that is, right? Anyway, it had a word on it that they're very interested in, and the word was inflation. This cassette tape got reporters Sarah Gonzalez and Erica Barris tangled up in the music industry. We wanted to see what this cassette was about. So we put it in a cassette player, and... You know... It's a song. With the food and rent going up there. A cool one. Man, about inflation. Just and it's survive. good, right? A little funky. You see, inflation and taxation has taken over our great nation. This song was actually recorded 47 years ago, in 1975, when inflation was 9%. About the same as now. But the song was never released. The band that recorded it was called Sugar Daddy and the Gumbo Roo. Yeah, Sugar Daddy and the Gumbo Roo. <laughs> The story of the song on this cassette and what Planet Money decided to do with it, it's a great story, well told, especially the last scene in the story. So good, and we'll hear it later. But I was struck by a simple question. Why two narrators? I know, I know, I know, Planet Money and a few other NPR shows like Radiolab and Throughline, the history podcast, they often have two narrators. So it's not like Planet Money is breaking new ground with co-narrators. But my question still stands, why two when one will suffice? I'm Rob Rosenthal. This is the Sound School podcast from PRX and Transom. Each episode, I offer the backstory to great audio storytelling. And to begin, the backstory on why someone randomly sent Planet Money a cassette with a song is pretty interesting. This doesn't have to do with co-narrating, but I, I just wanted to start here. The keyboardist in the band, a guy named Kenny Landham, he got a text from a friend with a photo. And he's like, remember this? It was a picture of the cassette that was eventually mailed to Planet Money. And he's like, oh my God, you have this recording that none of us have heard in so many years. This is Erica Barris, one of the reporters on the story, recounting Kenny's story. Apparently, Kenny's daughter listens to Planet Money, and she thought the show might like to have the song. Kenny liked the idea. He thought, like, we could use it in one of our shows because we're a show about economics and money. He would maybe upload the song to some streaming site. Sarah Gonzalez is the other reporter. We would then play part of the song in one of our episodes about inflation and that that would be like a little, you know, people would hear the song and go like, oh, that's a catchy song. Maybe I should go find it on on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. Um, and then that they would get like a little boost in streams. We were like, wait, 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 maybe we can do something else with it. What they did with it was classic Planet Money. In the past, the show designed a T-shirt and tracked how it was made as part of a report on the global economy. On another episode, they adopted a satellite as a way of explaining all the recent private investment in space. In this case, they started a record label. 
Planet Money Records. Erica and our executive producer and a bunch of other people had the idea of like, what if we enter the music industry to try to release this song ourselves as a way to try to understand the music industry? And we ended up devoting like months and several thousands of dollars <laughs> to to this one song and getting it out there. We didn't think it would be that complicated when we started. Yeah. Sugar Daddy and the Gumbo Room. <laughs> this is the singer. Ernest Jackson. You see, it takes a lot of ingredients to make a good gumbo. You can't make a good gumbo without a roux. It's like a butter and flour base. Ernest Jackson is kind of like the roux to this song. He wrote it and is the lead singer. A lot of people say I sound like Satchmo now, you know, even when I talk. Satchmo, Louis Armstrong. The guy who sings What a Wonderful World. I kind of hear that, yeah. Yeah. And everyone from this band went on to make it in the music industry, except the guy who wrote the song. Ernest has dreamt of stardom for almost 70 years. Of course, yes, indeed, because that's been my dream since I was a little boy. I've always wanted to be a superstar. I feel like I had the potential. And I, you know, I haven't given up my dream. Listen, there are millions of artists and songs like this that no one ever discovers. And just because a song is good and of the moment doesn't mean it'll be a hit or make anybody any money. But we're going to try. We're going to take this long lost song from the 70s and resurrect it. The vast majority of stories are told by one narrator. Why have two narrators, Sarah? Um, we feel like it just kind of opens up a level of playfulness and more sort of natural storytelling if you have someone else that you're kind of talking to when you're writing a show or, or reading a script um, and ad-libbing and things like that. We also like sort of play different roles in the in the pieces, you know, like sometimes we're going into like super very complicated, heavy things or things that just, you know, if you're saying, oh, there's two sides to this. It's really helpful to have someone play up one side and play down the other side, you know, and like sort of question you on things and have it have it happen within the host, not necessarily just like bringing in another expert that says, actually, it's not that way. Um, and then it just like sounds fun to hear like people having a conversation. It feels like you're kind of like eavesdropping. At least that's how I felt when I was just a listener. I was like, oh, I'm listening to two people have a really interesting conversation at a bar or something. Um, and I'm getting all this out of it and they don't realize I'm listening. And that's always that's like a really fun experience. He started singing when he was five years old. By 14, he's performing. In nightclubs. That's how it was down deep south here in Louisiana. Baby. We could do our thing <laughs> in the nightclub at 14. This is when Ernest recorded his first song with a friend. Let's see. Uh, Give me your love and all your time. Don't ever leave me because I'd lose my mind. Erica and Sarah told this story about starting a record label over two nearly half-hour-long episodes of Planet Money. They also produced shorter versions for Morning Edition and All Things Considered, the NPR news shows. So, four stories in all, a lot of writing, and even though Sarah's in Los Angeles and Erica is in New York, they wrote together via video chat. And we split it up. And for our very first drafts, um, Sarah wrote the first one and I wrote the first version of the second one. And then by the second edit, we are we are writing, I mean, from top to bottom, we are rewriting every word together to make it feel like it's in both of our voices, right? It's it's you like I have to write for Erica's voice and Erica has to write for my voice, um, right? So that the words kind of come out of our mouths naturally and it feels, <laughs> you know, true to like our, our actual uh, style and voice. Um, 
and then we do like some ad-libbing as well. Like we're not super only sticking to the script. As you're writing those first drafts, are you making decisions about, oh, okay, you know what? Sarah should narrate this part and Erica will narrate that part. Or is that something that comes along later, Sarah? Uh, it's a kind of a mix of both. Like sometimes one of us will be on a roll and we'll be like writing and, and, and everyone in the room that's with us is like, oh yeah, this is like totally working. And you're like, okay, like I should obviously read this part because I'm writing it and it's very much in my voice. But really it's like, almost at the end of the process that we divvy up lines. This is 14-year-old Ernest. 14, yeah, 14. In college, he's with a band called Black Blood and the Chocolate Pickles. And, of course, Sugar Daddy and the Gumbo Roo. And all this time, he's just trying to land a record deal. And he gets close. He had a hit once. This is Ernest doing a cover of an Al Green song. If you've heard this song on an old jukebox, chances are you've heard Ernest's version, not Al Green's. His cover peaks at number 22 on the Billboard magazine Hot 100 charts. He's on the radio. But Ernest never got any royalties for this song. He got a flat fee. $150 one time. Then he gets an idea for a new song. It's the 70s. Inflation is going up. Everyone felt the pinch. Yeah, it was hard back then. I'm going to tell you the truth. Money could only go so far, you know. And it's just like today. He decides to write about inflation. Boom. Then boom, 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 boom. Inflation is in the nation. And it's about to put us all away. You see? Sugar Daddy and the Gumbo Roo, the band, they like the song. They decide to record it. They made a demo, that cassette. But then they don't do anything with it. Nobody else has heard that song except the people who recorded it. Do you track together? Mm-hmm. Yes. What are the advantages to that? I think it feels just more natural, right? Like we track together and a producer will play the tape for us. So we're we're reacting to the tape that we just heard so that if, you know, Ernest is saying something and he's kind of like laughing at the end of the thing that he said, we don't want to come in and be like super flat, right? We kind of want to like match it and if I can listen to Erica when Erica's reading she's sort of like teeing me up and she's like kind of pumping me up and it it just like we're matching each other's energy we're feeling like we're um, like talking to each other which we are before reporting for Planet Money Erica worked at Marketplace for four years she produced lots of stories on wealth and poverty and aging Sarah was a newsroom reporter at WNYC and before that WLRN in Miami The vast majority of the time, they both reported and told stories alone, no co-narrating. So I wondered what it took to adopt a new approach. In the, like, very, very beginning, uh, you know, I remember doing, like, all of the reporting, all of the research, all of the writing. And then someone was like, here, someone's going to read half your script. And I was like, oh, 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 okay." And then sometimes I'd be like, oh, I love that line. Like, I wrote that line with, like, I put so much thought into that line and, like, someone else is going to read it. And it's, like, maybe a little bit sad or something because you're so attached to, you know, um, your story sometimes. Um, But once you, you, like, see that value, you're like, eh, let someone co-host my show because then I'm going to co-host their show later, you know? I don't know, Erica, what do you think? Do you think, was it like a, for you, did you have to like change the way you thought about an episode? No, um, the things that I had to like adapt to were like very different things just coming from like a daily show where the longest piece I ever did was three minutes, you know? So I think 
that that was more like the adapting I had to do. I think I was mostly like, oh, this is wonderful because I was so used to like reporting and producing and doing, you know, being like a one man band for everything, like doing the entire assembly line to be like, there's all this like other help, like other people will help me write and produce and, you know, think through things in a different way. Um, so that was like, you know, it was like a big change, but it was like a welcome big change. Yeah, we used to call like our co-host or or co-reporter or whatever, like your imagination buddy. And you just <laughs> sort of like have someone, you know, sort of like towards the beginning, the early stages of, of, of reporting out a new story. And you're just kind of like, oh, like I'm thinking that my the top of the show will be this. And then I think I'm going to go here. And you sort of like lay out how you think the show will be. And it's nice to have a second brain because we do a lot of like what if we did it like this and what if we did it like that like we sort of like shoot for the stars and then we'll like tone it down a little bit a little bit but not not too too much much. (laughs) well they did shoot for the stars for one part of the story the part that made me look at my radio and we'll hear that in a bit but first here's more of the story Ernest was sort of scared to play it for anyone because he thought anyone could just hear it and say it's theirs he didn't know how to register a copyright for a song that's right I didn't know. I didn't I know. Inflation, like regular inflation, eventually goes down. So this song kind of misses its moment. The rest of the band, they go on to play with famous people in famous bands. The bass player is actually a very young Randy Jackson, original judge on American Idol. But Ernest, he stays in Baton Rouge, waiting tables for 33 years at nice restaurants, the kind where you serve the drinks from the right food from the left. I made a very good living. I I raised all my children. Today, Ernest is a grandpa and a great grandpa. He's retired, but he still sings. He has shows here and there. He's just never been discovered. I've never been signed by a label. That's my hope and dream. Still is at 74 years old. I think it's important to note that not only do Erica and Sarah write and track together, they report together. Not every interview is conducted in tandem, but most. They wrote out all their questions together, and then for their big interview with Ernest, they did something that never would have occurred to me. Initially, Erica talked a lot to Ernest, trying to get a sense of who he is and the story arc, you know, pre-interviews. But Sarah didn't want to hear what Erica learned. And I remember like trying to talk to Sarah and being like, oh, I know all this stuff about him. And she was like, don't tell me anything. Don't tell me anything. I want to ask it. So I'm like fresh and surprised when he tells me stuff. And we would jump into each other's, you know, like if if Erica was asking something, I would jump into hers. If I was asking, she would jump into mine. Right. So it wasn't like super, super, um, you know, split up. But for the most part, we were like, okay, you lead the stuff about like inflation in the 70s and I'll lead the stuff about his early life. Um, But we also didn't like we wrote down questions that we knew we needed to get that we wanted to make sure we didn't you know, leave without getting. But we also just like let the conversation flow. Right. You know, yeah. like it, it, it's not like everything is written. Most most stuff is not written for all the interviews. But we did like map out what we thought we wanted. Like we yeah, definitely yeah. were like, yeah, we need to get this stuff and we have to figure out how to get it. And they had one scene in particular in mind. We knew from the beginning that we wanted episode one to end on Ernest hearing himself on the radio when his song makes its debut on the radio, um, we knew that from the very beginning that that was going to be the end. If we then collected that tape and then it didn't work, we wouldn't use it if we didn't like to. But we, in our brains, we were like, this seems like the perfect ending for that episode. Ernest says making it for him would be getting in the car and hearing himself on the radio like he used to. Yeah, Q106.5. 
Q106.5? You want to be on Q106.5? Yeah. So we pick up Ernest one day for a highly orchestrated car ride. I'm in. <laughs> we asked Q106.5 if they could play his song. It's DJ Incredible. Today we're shining a light on a song. To make all this happen, Erica and Sarah reached out to the radio station. They said, hey, we're doing this thing. Can you help? The station liked the idea. They got on board. They even told Erica and Sarah what song would play before inflation so they'd know when to be ready. But the station staff was also incredulous that Sarah and Erica wanted to be in Louisiana to hear it. They were sort of like, you're flying out here for three minutes of it being on the radio. Um, and we were like, yes, we, 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 like, we just had to be there in person for that one. So that was sort of the back end stuff. Yeah, we had to also orchestrate that, like, Ernest was going to be free at that time and was going to be expecting us and that, like, we would be there. How did you convince him to get in a car and not know what's going to happen? Uh, we were just kind of like, yeah, let's just ride around Baton Rouge. We were, yeah. we, we got in the car and we were like, oh, you know, we're sort of like interviewing him while we're driving around in the car. And then at a certain point, we were like, we just need him to hear the radio because like he needs to hear the radio and songs playing on the radio so that it lands for him when his song comes on the radio. Like if we just turned it on right when his song comes on, it wouldn't have felt the same way, right? He would have been like, is this a CD? Like what, you know, what is this? Um, and so at some point I was like, oh, let's just, this is the station you like, right? Q and I said, let me just, let me just listen to what so kind of songs they play. And then we just were like listening to music in the car and he probably was like, what are these girls doing? Like we were just not talking to him, just listening to these, this music, but it was all for like you need to hear what was playing before your song so that when you hear your song you you get the like context of it that it is like playing live on the radio right now it was cool it was fun some by one of bad Rouge's own ernest jackson here's inflation on q106.5 you know ernest says nothing for almost a full minute just to survive He's just kind of smiling and shaking his head like, no, 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 no. Oh, this is, this is blowing my mind. Is this actually, that's Q106, right? How did they get that? <laughs> How do you think they got it? We sent it to them. Oh, man, that's out of sight. I mean, I can't believe this. So we got one station in one city to play the song. Next up, the world. Wait, can we be a, can we be a label? Sure, why not? Like, what do we have to do to be a label? Say you're a label. <laughs> All right, we're a label. I'm Sarah Gonzalez. I'm Erica Barris. Our label, Planet Money Records. For the second story they produced, Erica and Sarah figure out what it takes to release a song. The contracts, the payments, the whole nine yards. And then they release the song. They told me a third episode will drop soon with an update on what they learned and how the song is doing. But as I write this, Inflation by Ernest Jackson, along with Sugar Daddy and the Gumbo Roo, has nearly 500,000 plays on Spotify. Erica and Sarah described for me the incredibly complicated way that scene in the car with Ernest was recorded. You can't imagine what went into that. They explained it to me, and I'm still not certain I get it. Hear what they said at transom.org. This is the Sound School podcast, the backstory to great audio storytelling. Genevieve Sponsler, who's a senior managing producer at PRX, she marks up my scripts. Jay Allison, the executive editor of transom.org, also takes a whack at what I write. It's good to know Genevieve and Jay have my back. Thank you very much.
I've got a couple of cool episodes on deck for Sound School, an interview with Brian Harnetti about his unusual oral history projects that involve taking people to historic sites and playing interviews through loudspeakers. Another features John Scott Dryden and his documentary style of recording scenes for fiction podcasts, including the Radiotopia series Mumbai Crime. So keep an ear out for those episodes coming soon. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. From PRX. And Transom dot org.